0: Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Alison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 80 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm a solicitor and employment law specialist, and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice, where myself and my colleagues provide advice and assistance to employers and employees on all aspects of employment law and HR. If you'd like more information about the specific services that we offer for employers, you can go over to our website, which is adviceforemployers.co.uk, and on there you'll also find back episodes of the podcast and some blogs and other notes and things that you might find helpful. At the time of recording this episode of the podcast, it's just the end, if you like, of um, the mini heatwave that we've been experiencing in the UK and particularly here on the South Coast. And what I found most interesting in the last couple of days is the number of stories on social media and on news websites about employers' practices with regards to uniform and work um, clothing during the heatwave. And some of you will recall there was a story um, not too long ago about a lady who was ordered to wear high heels to work and um, it was very well publicised and in fact I did a blog on it on the website. But there was a story that I that caught my eye which was a guy who posted a picture of himself on Twitter going to work in a shirt and sort of just tailored shorts, um, not really short shorts, not jean shorts but you know quite smart shorts and um, he was sent home from work because he was wearing shorts, and he went back to work in a dress. And he was arguing that the ladies in the office were wearing dresses with no sleeves and vest tops and skirts, and it really wasn't any different to him wearing a shirt and shorts. And there have been a number of those sorts of stories, and no doubt you've seen them. But what I find most interesting about that story is what the sort of psychology behind the manager or the business owner's decision in sending someone home for wearing shorts when it's sort of 25 to 30 degrees outside. And I can see why if you are in a formal business environment where you're having meetings with clients, for example, that yes, you know, you want your staff to be looking smart. But I, I think this guy worked in a call centre and where he wasn't customer facing. But there was a requirement that he had to wear smart dress, so I thought to myself, actually, what difference does it make to them for a couple of days if they relax their policy? It can have a massive impact on staff. Uh, Certainly, I know that I haven't been the most productive that I normally am because it's been hot and I've been hot and bothered. Um, So, if you want to get the best out of your staff, I just think sometimes it's good to think differently or maybe just relax the rules slightly and. um, Perhaps not be so quick to stick to the uh, sort of rigid dress code. Now, we do live in the UK, so I'm not sure we're going to have another heat wave this summer. But um, if we do, and you're one of those employers who's thinking, oh, well, you know, if I relax the dress code for this, am I then setting a precedent? Well, the answer is no, you're not. As long as you communicate it clearly to staff and say, look, we know it's hot, we want to make you as comfortable as possible. So for a couple of days whilst it's in the high 20s we're going to relax the dress code but if you have client meetings for instance or you're out seeing customers or customer facing then you have to dress appropriately but make it clear that it's only for that period of time and I don't think that will cause you any difficulty and actually it's likely to help you and your staff out in terms of productivity. So I thought that was just an interesting comment to make really as a as an aside it's not a legal point at all it's more about HR best practice and getting the best out of your staff. But in this week's episode of the podcast I am going to be talking about um, a legal point and it's a case that's recently been heard in the Leeds Employment Tribunal and the decision's recently been published and has been widely publicised and in fact I wrote about it in my newsletter. And the reason why I wanted to share it in the podcast is because I was having a conversation with my colleague Miranda who's also an employment solicitor about this case and about shared parental leave generally. And so I thought it'd be really interesting for me to talk about it on the podcast. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's content. So this week's case is one that's been heard by the Leeds Employment Tribunal. And it was a claim by a gentleman by the name of Mr. Ali, um, who was employed by Capita... Customer Management Limited. Now, he brought a claim in relation to shared parental leave pay. Now, just as a bit of background, a couple of years ago, shared parental leave was introduced, which is a way in which mothers and fathers can share their parental leave. So, effectively, the woman gives up her right to maternity leave and instead does a share with her partner so that they can each take part of the leave and the way it can work is that they can split it however they like really um, in terms of timing wise so the the mother if she gives birth to a child has to have a minimum of two weeks off by law that's the minimum required time but after those two weeks she could effectively return to work and her partner could take the remaining 50 weeks as shared parental leave. And it was part of the government's drive to increase father's rights in terms of family and also in relation to family-friendly regulations and legislation. So anyway, that came in a couple of years ago. And there've been a couple of cases about, um, about the pay that goes with it. So as with maternity leave and paternity, there is a statutory minimum weekly payment that employers must pay for a certain period of time. However, what often happens is employers will provide enhanced maternity pay. So, for example, some employers will pay full pay for maternity leave for the first three months, some for six months, some for nine months, depending on the size of the organisation. And it means then that instead of going down to the statutory minimum, which is not very much really compared to somebody's average weekly salary. It means that they get that enhanced pay to help them out a bit. So that's what happens with lots of maternity pay rise in within organisations. So it's either contained in the employee's contracts or in the handbook or it's set by their practice and custom. Many organisations however don't have an equivalent pay for shared parental leave which means that if somebody takes shared parental leave quite often then they're only entitled to the statutory minimum and as a result in my opinion many fathers aren't taking up the option of shared parental leave because of that because of financial reasons because if they've got a partner or a wife for example who works in an organisation where they provide enhanced maternity pay for six months so they're getting full pay for six months but if the father were to take shared parental leave he would only get the statutory minimum then it's going to make a difference to the family financially and obviously in their decision making as to whether the father can take the time off as well. And unfortunately as we know men generally are paid more than women and it tends to be men who work full-time. Um, I'm talking very generally here but you have to look at the statistics to see that that's really is the case at the moment still in the UK. So what happened in Mr Ali's case is that he uh, worked for a company and he'd actually transferred over, he'd chupied over a couple of years before from another company and in the Tupi terms, so the terms that were still applicable to his employment, he was entitled to shared parental leave and statutory pay. But his female colleagues who took maternity leave were entitled to enhanced maternity pay, so they got full pay for a period of 14 weeks. Now, Mr. Ali took some time off the paternity leave, which he was entitled to take, and unfortunately, his wife suffered with postnatal depression. And when Mr. Ali returned to work, his wife's medical advisors said that it would be better for her to return to work in order to help her recovery from the postnatal depression. Obviously being concerned about his wife and wanting to do the best for his family, Mr Ali approached his employer and asked him what his options were, at which point he was told, we have this thing called shared parental leave, which you can take now. And so he asked about taking it, at which point they said, that's fine, but you will only get the statutory minimum pay. And Mr Ali said, well, I can't really afford that. My family can't afford that. I can't afford for my pay to drop so considerably for the period of time in which I'm taking shared parental leave. So he asked his employer if they would pay enhanced pay as they do for women on maternity leave. And his argument was he needed to be at home in order to care for his child in the same way as a woman does on maternity leave. Now, his employer, on the other hand, said, well, the reason why they paid maternity pay, enhanced maternity pay to women was because they had given birth. So they had given birth to a child and it was in order to level the playing field, if you like, between women on maternity leave and, and men and so that they weren't put at a disadvantage when taking that time off to have their babies. So when they couldn't reach an agreement, Mr Ali put a claim into the Employment Tribunal and he went to the Leeds Employment Tribunal who found in his favour and said that it was direct sex discrimination to pay enhanced maternity pay to a woman on maternity leave but not to a man who took shared parental leave. Now they distinguished the two-week period in which women are required to take the time off uh, after giving birth to a child and said that that's different because you know a woman needed to do that because that's what is required in order to recover from childbirth but then after that the woman was in the same position in terms of caring for a child as mr ali was now what's surprising about this case is that the employment tribunal were very prepared to compare a woman on maternity leave to a man on shared parental leave whereas in a previous case which was heard by the Leicester Employment Tribunal, which was a case brought by Mr Hexton versus the Chief Constable of Leicestershire Police. So Mr Hexton was a police officer who wanted to take shared parental leave and they had an equivalent paid enhanced pay for maternity leave, but not for shared parental leave. He brought a claim and the Employment Tribunal disagreed with his case and said he couldn't compare himself to a woman on maternity leave because it's not a correct comparison. In all honesty, that was my thoughts about shared parental leave and enhanced pay from the outset, that it's very difficult to compare, it's not comparing like for like, because you've got a woman on maternity leave and a man on shared parental leave. If you were comparing a man and a woman on shared parental leave, then yes, there would be discrimination if you paid the woman enhanced but not the man. And that's exactly what happened in the case with Mr. and Mrs. Snell versus Network Rail. And this is a case, again, I've reported on, the, on my website. But in that case, Mr. and Mrs. Snell both worked for Network Rail. And Mrs. Snell received enhanced pay, so a higher level of pay on shared parental leave than her husband did when he took shared parental leave. And they brought a claim for discrimination and were successful. And in that case, you can see why that would be discrimination, because they're both in the same situation, but paid differently, merely because of their gender. So that would be discrimination. So it's really difficult to reconcile the decision in the Mr. Ali case. And it would seem that perhaps the Employment Tribunal in that case had more sympathy for Mr. Ali, because of his reasonings for wanting to take shared parental leave, which was that essentially he had no choice. He had to take shared parental leave because of his wife's condition and the best thing for his family. It wasn't just a choice for him to take it, it was a a, a need, if you like. And I think that's probably the reason why the tribunal looked at it in his favour. So what does this mean for you and, and for employers? Well, it means that actually at the moment it's up in the air. So you've got two cases from two different employment tribunals in the UK which have decided the same issue in two different ways. So what's likely to happen now, and I think they're both cases are being appealed, is that they will go to the Employment Appeal Tribunal, who will then make a decision, and then potentially further on to the higher courts for um, further decision on it. So at the moment, when a, a judgment's issued by an employment tribunal, it's not binding on another tribunal. And it's one of those things about the employment tribunal actually is that you can have one in you know Southampton which is my local tribunal making a decision on a point of law and another one up the country or even down the road really making uh, uh, the same facts and making a different decision and it's only when it goes to the higher courts or the appeal tribunal which it then becomes a binding decision that other tribunals have to follow. So this is a new area of law because shared parental leave only came in a few years ago there's no, no guidance on this point. And so we've got to wait for the higher tribunals and courts to make their decision before we know exactly what the legal position is. So it's a case of watch this space. And it's quite interesting, it'll be quite interesting to see how it develops and how that impact will have on the policy and whether there might be any changes to the legislation from government. Because what was interesting about the Snell case is that after the judgment and Mr. Snow received compensation, Network Rail then changed their policy so that men and women just receive statutory shared parental pay and there was no enhancement for anybody. So instead of saying, OK, well, we'll enhance it for men as well, they just took it away for everyone. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if then if there are more decisions that go in the favour of saying that enhanced maternity pay has to be the same as shared parental pay, whether more employers will then start reducing their enhanced maternity pay and taking it away for women so that everybody just gets the statutory minimum, whatever kind of family leave they're taking, if you like. And of course, we still have someone looming um, is the potential for grand parental leave. Now, whether or not this will go ahead, given the potential changes with government and other issues going on. It's probably bottom of the list of things to do. But at some point in the recent past, the Conservatives were mooting the idea of introducing grand parental leave, which would enable grandparents to take a level of leave to care for children. So it'd be interesting to see if, if that's introduced, how that would play out in terms of discrimination and pay. So it's definitely an interesting area of law. But what can you do about it now, so I would say don't panic if if you're concerned about the application of your own processes and um, policies on this, then I would just hold fire before you make any major changes. And if you are contacted by an employee who wants to take shared parental leave, and you're concerned that you have an enhanced maternity pay but not a shared parental then I would get some advice and have a chat with somebody like myself just to see what the best option is for you to do at this stage but you definitely need to listen out watch the news subscribe to my newsletter to find out because I will send out the updates when we know more and obviously I will report again on it on the podcast So thank you very much for listening to this episode of the podcast. As I said I do have a newsletter which comes out fortnightly which is available to subscribe to on my website adviceforeemployers.co.uk and if you want any advice or assistance you can contact us on the website or by email. My email address is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and I do hope you have a great week and you manage to stay cool in this lovely hot weather.